Well, we have been uh, in a series talking about four Christmases. Uh, We learned about Mary. Uh, Last week, we talked about Joseph. And this week, we're going to talk about the man who tried to kill Christmas. You know, this is the Christmas season. Our, Our homes are decorated. Our hearts are full. We're excited because Christmas is almost here. And And little and big children look bug-eyed at gifts under the tree. They can hardly wait for Christmas Day. And today we're going to talk about the man who tried to kill Christmas. It's, It's strange. It's a little bizarre. It doesn't even seem like it should be in the Bible. It doesn't seem like we should read it during the Christmas season. It doesn't sound right amongst the Christmas carols. It takes all the joy away and leaves only sadness. And no, I'm not referencing the Grinch. (laughs) This man we're going to talk about today is not happy about Christmas. He's angry about the whole thing and he's for real. He hates Christmas and he doesn't even know the word yet or what it means. And the man that history calls uh, Herod the Great... That's who we're going to talk about today. And his story is in Matthew chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment or two. But, but I want to just share a little history with you. My wife said last night, I am interested in what I'm going to learn about Herod today. So here it comes. Here's what you're going to learn about Herod. It's little known that in 40 BC that the Roman Senate had named Herod the king of the Jews. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Um, It was a title the Jews hated because, A, Herod was not a Jew, and B, he was not a Jew by religion either, neither birth nor religion. And I find it interesting that he would be the king who would become obsessed with killing Jesus, who would later be called sarcastically the king of the Jews. Isn't it interesting how God weaves things together? And uh, it was Pilate who bowed to the masses and ordered his execution on the cross. Well, as the years roll on, Herod proved to be a clever and a cruel man. He held tightly to the reins of power, and he brutally removed anyone who got in his way. Over the years, he killed many people. His brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his wife, even his sons. You see, above everything else, Herod the Great was great at killing. It was his nature. He killed out of spite. He killed to stay in power. Human life meant nothing to him. And the great historian Josephus called him barbaric. Another writer called him the maniac. Yet another called him the great pervert. And the murder of his wife is really what drove him mad. He killed her because he thought she was a threat to his power. And he never got over that particular murder. He was only 44 when he killed her. And even though he lived to be a little over 70, his murder of her was the beginning of the end for him. And perhaps his best character can be seen by the incident. It was around 7 BC, seven years before Jesus. Herod is now an old man. And he's lived in power for 41 years. 
So it makes him close to 70 years old. And that was definitely older than most men lived in that day and in that time. And Herod knows he doesn't have much longer to live. And word comes that his sons are plotting to overthrow him. They're sons by his late murdered wife. So he orders them put to death by strangling. A few years later, Herod the Great, again being referred to as the king of the Jews, is slowly dying. And Josephus describes his disease as as kind of a foul distemper. His body is racked with convulsions. His breath is foul. His skin is covered with sores. And he's rapidly losing his mind. But he's still the king. One day, word comes to him in Jerusalem that some visitors have arrived from the east. Strange men with a strange question. They're the magi. They're the wise men from the east. And they journeyed across the desert seeking an interview with Herod. Perhaps there were three. There might have been more. The important thing to Herod was not who they were, but what it was they asked. And so now let's look in God's word as this story opens. In Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. There's many mysteries about this. You know, who precisely are the wise men? Where did they come from? What was this star they saw in the sky? We don't know the answer to that, and neither did Herod. But he knew he better find out what this was all about. And they were looking for someone who was born to be king of the Jews. How could it be? Herod was the king of the Jews, or so some said about him. But he was not born that way. He had to fight and kill to gain the title that he had. So what were these men talking about? It it says in uh, verse 3, it says that Herod was disturbed. When he heard this, he was disturbed. And what that actually means is he shook violently. So he had a physical reaction to this situation. And no wonder because he thought he had subdued all of his enemies. He'd killed his wife. He'd killed his sons. He'd killed anybody was in his way. He thought he had clear path for the rest of his life. But now these strangers come with their strange question Herod knew that the Jews were looking for the Messiah, the one God would send to save them and reign as king. I'm, I'm sure Herod didn't take that too seriously, but on the other hand, why would he take chances? And so it explains what he does next. It says, when he'd called together all the, chief, the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And in Bethlehem in Judea, They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Let's read verses 4 through 6. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Suddenly things are getting serious. Maybe these strangers are on to something. What if the baby they're looking for is the Messiah of God? Herod may be many things, but he's not stupid. And so he feels this need to move fast. And the wise men had asked, where is the baby born king of the Jews? The scribes confirmed the prediction of the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. And no wonder he's shaken up. He's got to stop this crazy act of God before it gets out of hand. Now, now you might be thinking, would a man really try to kill the Son of God? Know this, all tyrants are cowards at heart. They rule by force, and the one thing they fear most is a force that might be greater than theirs. If the Messiah had come, then it meant that Herod was ruling in opposition to God. Therefore, in his mind, he must kill this baby, and he must do it now. So he hatched a clever plot. And let's look at that in verse 7 and 8. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, Go to Bethlehem. And search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You may read that and say, well, why didn't the wise men wise up to Herod's trick? Really, if you think about it, why should they? You know, they, they had no reason to suspect his motives. They didn't know Herod. Or you might ask, why didn't Herod send some troops to Bethlehem to check things out? And he could have, but that would have attracted too much attention. Finally, you maybe ask, if Herod is so concerned, why didn't he go to Bethlehem and see for himself? Well, uh, he didn't go, and he sent uh, the wise men instead, and off they went. And you know the rest of the story. The star miraculously reappeared and led them to the exact house. And when they found Jesus, they bowed down, they worshiped him, they offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the Magi knew something Herod never knew, that a baby in a tiny house wrapped in rags would someday rule the world. They weren't ashamed to give this baby gifts that were fit for a king. But before the Magi step off center stage and they drift into history, we're told one last fact about them in verse 12. It says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So the Magi went east, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus went west toward Egypt. And soon, Bethlehem was as it has always been, just a sleepy little village. Meanwhile, back at the palace, Herod 
is rubbing his hands together in glee. And he's thinking, how stupid those foreigners are to fall for an old trick like that. Fools. The Bible says that when Herod saw he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged. Why? Well, because the trickster had been tricked. The con man had been conned. The liar had been double-crossed. And now we see who is wise and who is actually the fool. But before we talk about what happens next, there's some facts to keep in mind. Herod is now very old and very sick, and he's slowly losing control of his kingdom. He's dying, and he knows it. He's angry that he's been tricked by these foreigners, and he still must do something about this mysterious baby. In short, he's out of his mind with rage, frustration, fear, and pain. He's insanely jealous. He's nearly insane. He is a bloody killer by nature. So all the worst instincts of a lifetime now come to the surface. In the history of the church, this event is called the slaughter of the innocents. And after 2,000 years, we remember Herod for this one act. Starting in verse 9, It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave... They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem that were two years old and under. And based on the wise man's report of the star's first appearance. You know, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the wise men, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity. And in accordance with the time that the Magi had said, he lost his mind and honestly did something worthy of Hitler. He ordered cold-blooded murder of the male babies under two years of age. And maybe you're sitting there saying, did this really happen? Could Herod have done this? Well, history shows that everything that we've just read about and talked about is consistent with what we know about Herod the Great. Killing is how he stayed on top for 41 years. 
And there's no reason to think he wouldn't do something else. You know, the Bible concludes this story by noting the death of Herod in verse 19. It says, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And so Joseph is told it is now safe. The historian Josephus of his time says that when Herod died, he died as maggots had eaten away part of his body. He was alive and was being eaten alive. He died in agony, in insane. He was tormented. He was delirious. He'd murdered thousands in his lifetime. But it would turn out he couldn't kill the most important person of all. So maybe you're saying, Pastor Bob, what, what, how does all this history tie together? What does this all mean? And I love this. My wife will often say, would you tie a bow in this? And so I'm going to attempt to do that right now. Here it comes. All of this history of the man who tried to kill Christmas tells us this. There are really three ways of looking at Christmas. There is hostility, there is indifference, and there is worship. You know, although Herod is the leading figure in this tragic drama, he's not the only player on the stage. Besides Herod, there's the wise men, there's the scribes of Jerusalem, and all three represent different ways of looking at Christmas. That first way, hostility, is Herod, who stands as a symbol for the kind of world that Jesus came into. He came into a world of murder and plunder for power. And Herod represents the world's welcoming committee for the Son of God. Wow. <laughs> Herod stands for the bloodthirsty, cruel, vindictive side of the world system, a world where human life is cheap. You know, God's word says there is nothing new under the sun. And life is certainly cheap today, isn't it? It's a world where killing is accepted and even expected. You know, Herod is dead, but that spirit of murder of killing for power, of killing for self and selfishness still exists. And even today, there are those who are offended by Jesus, even the mere mention of his name. They oppose spiritual truth. They want to erase every trace of Christmas from public life. So there's the peace of hostility. Then there's indifference. The scribes in our story represent the religiously indifferent. These are the insiders who know all the facts and they do nothing about it. People who know God's word and they don't care enough to get excited. The Messiah is returned and it's like it isn't even happening to these people. When Herod asked where the baby was to be born, they knew the answer because they knew what was prophesied in God's word. They told him where to look, 
and didn't even care enough to investigate for themselves, is what our story tells us. People don't know this, or maybe you do, but Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. It's a short trip compared to what Mary and Joseph did by donkey I talked about a couple weeks ago. Six miles. But even that was too far for these people who had religious knowledge, that knew God's word, that knew that this was the Messiah, but they were too busy to go and see him. It was all academic to them. Hope you have a nice trip. If you find the Messiah, let us know. When instead, they should have been singing and dancing because the Messiah had come. So who looks worse? Is it Herod or the scribes? The scribes, I think, look worse because Herod, for all his excesses, is at least acting consistently with his basic nature. By contrast, these men who knew the truth knew who what had been prophesied And they did nothing about it. Indifference to the very presence of God in our midst. The final is worship. That's the final group on the stage. And and they are the wise men who when they found the baby, they bowed down and they worshiped him. I think this is such an ironic twist of the Christmas story because it's actually the pagans It's the pagans who recognize Jesus for who he really is and bow in worship. Herod knows and tries to kill him. The scribes know and they ignore him. But the wise men prove themselves worthy of their name. When they found him, they worshiped him gladly. You see, all three of these responses in one family. We can see all these responses in one family. Often we'll see all three of these in the place where we work. After 2,000 years, the earth is still full of men who want to kill Christmas. The scribes are too busy to go to Bethlehem. And the wise men are still seeking him. So how will you respond? You know, the ultimate question is not how someone else responds, but how you respond to Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. Are you with Herod? Or are you with the scribes? Or are you with the wise men? You know, as I read Matthew chapter 2, one fact strikes me above all others, and that is this. Everyone involved had the same basic information. They all knew a baby had born in Bethlehem. They all knew where the baby or who the baby was. Herod knew and tried to kill him, and the scribes knew and ignored him, and the wise men knew, and they worshiped him. They all had the same information, and they all responded differently. You know, if information alone could save you, 
then Herod would have been saved. But information alone will not save you. It's not what you know, but what you do with what you know that saves you. I'd like us to watch just a short video. You see, it's not about what you know, but what you do with what you know that saves you. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God from heaven, 
If you believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, if you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if you believe that Jesus came to save you from your sins, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, if you believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, if you believe that Jesus will one day return to the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, if you believe all of that, then I encourage you this morning to do what the wise men did. And that is to come to him with an open heart and to bow down before him and to worship him and recognize who he is and what he's done for you. I'm going to encourage you this morning to just bow your heads as we close. And with nobody looking around, if you're here this morning and perhaps you say, I do believe these things about Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm right with him. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And so I'm going to ask you again with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, just encourage you to look up at me quickly and I will look across the room. I see that. Let's pray together out loud this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. We recognize that he is the only way to an eternity in your presence. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we at People Church will proclaim him as the Savior of the world all year, not just at Christmas. We'll serve God and we'll serve others with whole hearts. Yesterday, there were uh, about 15 of us, well, more than that because there were couples, but we got to go and deliver Christmas boxes. And Pamela and I got to deliver a couple of those boxes, and it was so amazing. The two families that we got to meet with, we got to talk to them for about a half hour. We got to pray with them. And, and especially uh, in that, that first one that we delivered, the woman just wept, knowing that Jesus loves her and he cares about her. In the second household, they'd been going through an incredibly difficult year, but they told us the whole story, and, and we got to pray with them. And, and when we left, there was a smile on their face, and they were encouraged. You guys, what a great opportunity. I'm so thankful that the Heatons headed that up, and we got the chance. And I, I can't wait till we get to do it again. Maybe we won't wait till Christmas. Wouldn't that be something? If we just blessed people throughout the year, Wow. And finally, we're going to make this a safe place for people to find and to follow Jesus. This is a safe place for people to find and follow Jesus at the People Church. And that's because of you. That's because of you accepting people wherever they are at when they walk in these doors. 
loving them, welcoming them, encouraging them. Father, this morning we thank you again just for this great opportunity to have been in your presence. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you for opportunities that we will have to invite people to you all throughout the year. I ask that you would bless these, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that you'd be their peace, that you'd bring healing in their bodies that need healing, that you bring provision where provision is needed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.